Well, good evening or afternoon, everybody, and Merry Christmas, pre-Merry pre Christmas. Um, we're not going to have a Christmas message today because we still have December the 22nd coming up, which is like, that's like legit Christmas message time. So um, I, I'm, we're going to continue here in the Gospel of John, and I've got some thoughts I want to share to um, help us with before we take communion. And um, if you could turn with me, John chapter 15. And I want to thank again, um, where is Mike? Mike Powers. There he is. So Mike Powers and his crew did a great job on Wednesday with the Sisters Encouragement Night. Thank you so much for doing that. Uh, you did a fantastic job. Okay, so here we are in John chapter 15. Again, these are the last hours of Jesus' life. Uh, the Last Supper has happened. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. And he's told them that he's going to leave them. And so because of that, they're, they're upset and they're troubled. And so they leave on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they begin to ask Jesus some questions, basically questions to try to calm their anxious hearts as they realize Jesus is about to leave. And Jesus gives them the ultimate solution to their worries, which is faith in him. And again, faith in Jesus is the ultimate solution, because if we have faith in Jesus, whatever troubles do not get worked out in this life will for sure get worked out in the next life. And personally, I'd rather have trouble with Jesus than have trouble without Jesus. There's a big difference. Um, but Jesus also does promise to be with them through the Holy Spirit and um, provide another advocate and another counselor. And in our passage this afternoon, Jesus is talking about remaining in him. And if we remain in him, we'll produce fruit. And he also encourages us to love one another. So I'm just going to jump in. And here in John chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down his life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. So the title this morning is Remain in Him, Bear Much Fruit. Can we um, thin, thin out the mic? It's, it sounds like really, oh, I don't know the, the sound for that, the technical sound for it. But. Um, Jesus, if you don't understand the point of the passage, I think Jesus has made it really, really clear. Uh, he, he wants his disciples to bear fruit. Uh, Verse 2, bearing fruit and being fruitful is mentioned three times. In verse 4, bearing fruit is mentioned two times. In verse 5, bearing fruit is mentioned once. And in verse 8, bearing fruit is mentioned once. In verse 16, bearing fruit is mentioned once. So bearing fruit or somehow giving fruit is mentioned eight times in the passage. How are they to bear that fruit? Well, by remaining in him, remaining in me or in you is mentioned four times in verse four, two times in verse five, once in verse six, twice in verse seven, once in verse nine, twice in verse 10. Remaining in me or remaining in my love is mentioned 12 times in this passage. So how much more clarity do you do we want? He's saying, remain in me and you'll bear much fruit. Three quick points. I hope that they're quick. I'm going to try to make them quick. One, why remain? Why remain? Here, Jesus is saying that he is the vine. His father is the gardener. Obviously, he's making an analogy to how his relationship with God is. Now, every gardener loves their plants and wants them to grow. Do we have any gardeners out there or people that really like love their plants? I see about three or four different people out here. Uh, The vine is used in the Old Testament to describe Israel. And it's used to describe Israel in an unfaithful way when you read those verses in the Old Testament. But here Jesus calls himself the true vine. He's saying that all the stuff that happened with Israel before, where Israel was this messed up vine, I am the true vine. I'm going to be growing the way that God expects the vine to grow. The vine, Jesus says, is himself. And since the father is a gardener who loves the vine and wants it to be fruitful, he removes the dead parts of the vine, the dead branches, the dead leaves, in order to make the vine more fruitful. And so household or garden plants, bushes, shrubs, it's good to prune or to cut off any diseased parts or dead growth of the plant. Have you ever done that before? And have you noticed that it actually works? That the plant grows back stronger and healthier because you've cut off the dead parts of the, of the plant. It's a good thing. You can put up my next slide for me, please. Or two slides. That one. Yes. Thank you. These are our famous crepe myrtles here in Hampton Roads. There was a guy about 50 years ago and his goal was to make Norfolk actually the crepe myrtle capital of the world. Everyone's seen these trees all around Southside, right? And on the peninsula too. They're everywhere. Norfolk at one time planted 40,000 of these trees. They wanted them to be the tree of Norfolk, and I assume they probably are. But anyway, my only point in this is that 
Um, you're going to see, come around January or February, you're going to see a lot of these trees cut back, just like in the picture on the left-hand side. And the purpose is so that in the spring and in the summer, the trees can grow back to be like it is on the right-hand side. They'll grow back in a fuller way. They'll grow back in a stronger way. When you cut these trees back, you're supposed to only cut them to the knuckles. You see those kind of like, the, the, look like fists on the top of each of the branches? Those are the knuckles. So they, they cut these trees properly, but sometimes they cut them like all the way, all the way back beneath the knuckle. That's called crepe murder. For real. When you cut them back that far. So anyway, these guys did a good job. What's the point? God in his love prunes us in our personal lives too, right? The growing Christian is pruned. I've talked about the midlife crisis that I've had for the last two years. I realize that God has been pruning me and that that's a good thing. I'm not upset about that. I'm not worried about that. I'm completely secure in God's love. I haven't thought that God has turned his back on me. No, I know that God's face is directed towards me and he's wanted to cut off some dead branches, some dead limbs and some dead things in my life so that I can grow stronger and better in the future. It's the same thing with all of us. And it's the same thing with plants. Pruning is a good thing. The setbacks and the hardships in our lives don't mean that God is down on us. It means that he loves us and that he's removing the dead parts of our lives to make us more fruitful and to make us more productive. And if you think about what Jesus is talking about here in John 15 uh, at the beginning here in the first two or three verses here, there's only two scenarios that he gives. He gives the dead branch that gets cut off and he gives the growing branch that gets pruned. Do you see that? There's no like really, really good branch that never gets pruned, which is where we all tend to want to be. I want to be the really, really good branch that nothing ever happens to me. No pruning ever happens in my life. And Jesus is saying, no, you're you're either a healthy, growing Christian that's getting pruned or you're a dead Christian and you're getting cut off. Which would you rather be? I'd rather be the growing Christian that's getting pruned than the dead one that's getting cut off. Instead of running from this inevitable pruning, our prayer should be, prune me, Lord, make me more fruitful. Remove the dead and the diseased parts of my heart with the sharp blade of your word, but don't cut me off. Don't cast me from your presence. Being pruned is a sign of life. It's a sign of love. In verse 3, he says, You are already clean, talking to the eleven. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. This, uh, This word clean has the same Greek root as the word prune. In essence, they mean the same thing. Cleaning and pruning. And Jesus had already said in John 13... You are already clean, though not every one of you. And he's referring to Jesus with the not every one of you. The father, again, loves his vine and he prunes it. And the eleven had been cleaned. They had been pruned by Jesus' words. But we've been pruned and cleaned as well. 
Even though your heart may be troubled, even though you might feel afraid, even though you might be feeling accused, even though things might not be going right in your life or not going according to plan, maybe you're going through a rough patch. Hold on. It's okay. You're clean. First Corinthians six says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the spirit of our God. And so why do we choose to remain in Jesus? Well, because you're not just washed by Jesus's word like the 11, but you were washed through his blood. You've been made clean. Amen. Second point. Remain in Jesus. Verse four is where. He actually gets to his directive and he tells them, remain in me. This word remain means to abide, to live, to dwell, to continue, to endure, to be persistent. It means to stand. Specifically, it means to stand still. And Jesus is saying, I'm leaving, but by faith, stay connected to me and stay dependent upon me in order to produce fruit. And without remaining in me and staying connected to me, you can do nothing. And so our relationships with God through Jesus are of utmost importance. We have to stay connected with God above and before everything and anything else. It's more important than coming to church. It's more important than doing the good deed. It's more important than giving to the camp collection. It's more important than anything else. We've got to stay connected with Jesus. And we have to remain in him. That means you stay there. And I've given the analogy before. It's like a little puppy dog when you train him, right? You tell the puppy, sit. I want you to sit. And then you take the treat and you want to teach the dog to stay in one place. And you begin to walk around with the treat, right? The dog's not supposed to come chasing after the treat. The dog's supposed to stay there until you say, come get the treat. And then the dog comes and gets the treat, right? A lot of us were like the pup, an untrained puppy dog. We're sitting there like, oh, can I get up now? Okay, I'll come back. I'll remain in you now. And Jesus is saying, sit, stay, remain. Don't go anywhere. We're like, wait a minute, let me go take a... And he's like, come on back. Where are you going? Well, Jesus, I got so much I got to do. So much on my own strength. So much by my own power. So much from my own agenda. Who cares what you want me to do? I got my own things to do, Jesus. Jesus is saying, remain in me, abide, live, dwell, like pitch your tent here. Come on home. I got a stew cooking. It's all right. You don't need to go anywhere. I'm your sustenance. I'm providing for you. And you don't need to get it from any other place. Jesus is the vine. We're branches, and, and, I, and I would have brought in, I normally, when I preach this, I do an illustration where I bring a dead branch and I bring a living branch. I totally forgot to get it this morning, so I apologize. But imagine a living branch, right? As soon as you break off that living branch and you throw it to the ground, what happens to the branch? It dies. You come back the next day, the leaves are brown. You come back the following week, 
The branch, instead of being flexible, it's now stiff and rigid, right? That's what happens to us when we disconnect ourselves from Jesus. We grow stiff, we grow rigid, we grow intolerant. We don't want nobody to tell us nothing about our lives. There's zero flexibility. There's no more green inside of us. It's all brown. I'm going to stop there, but it's bad. Sometimes you're tempted to say things that you shouldn't say, okay? I'm not going to say them. It's bad when we disconnect ourselves from Jesus. We've got to remain in him. Okay, I'll go ahead and I'll hit this point too. Okay. Here in verse... Sorry. Verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. You notice that Jesus has set up this analogy. He's, he said what or who the vine is, right? He says he's the vine. He has even said what the branches are, where the branches. He's even said who the gardener are, is. The Father is the gardener. But he references fruit and he doesn't say what the fruit is. Let me try to explain what the fruit is. You can put up my next slide for me, please. For a plant, the purpose of of a fruit is to disperse the plant's seed. That's the purpose of the fruit of a plant. And as branches, the gardener wants us to bear fruit or to disperse or broadcast his seed. And so I want you to look at these two verses here, John 15, 5, John 15, 7. I've got them highlighted partially in yellow, partially in pink, to try to explain what I'm saying here. But in, the first, in these verses here, the yellow is the same, right? If you remain in me, and then in the other part, if you remain in me, he's saying the same thing. The two differences are the pink parts. You will bear much fruit, and then ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So a lot of times in the Bible, when things are repeated, and, and consequent, the, the I don't know how you say it, but the beginning part is the same, but the ending part is different. Many times the two ending parts are the same thing or there's some explanation of the same thing. So Jesus is saying that the much fruit is the prayer, sorry, the prayer that is being answered. Let's go to the next slide. Same thing, except this time it's around God's glory. 15.8, 15.8, this is to my Father's glory. 14.13, it says, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And 15.8, that you bear much fruit. And then in 13 and 14, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you see the comparison that's happening here? That when Jesus talks about bearing much fruit, he's talking about he will do what we ask in his name. This is an amazing thing. Because what he's saying is, listen, I want myself, God, to be glorified. And I want you to bear fruit. The bearing of the fruit is you praying and asking whatever you're asking for in Jesus' name and me doing it. That's the fruit being born. Now, some of us are getting really excited, like, I cannot wait to break out my prayer list tonight 
Because I got a new house that I want to put on there. I got a new job that I want to put on there. Remember, in John 14, Jesus talks about praying in his name. And we've talked about that before, right? And again, go back to the vine branch analogy. The branch's desire or goal is to bear fruit that looks like what? That looks like what? The vine bears fruit that looks like what? The tree or the vine, right? So if the branch, imagine if branches prayed, they don't, but if they did, what would a branch pray for? Would not a branch pray that somehow they would bear fruit in likeness of the vine, right? I mean, the branch would not go and pray, hey, give me a new refrigerator. Because that has nothing to do with the vine, right? He's going to pray things that, that the vine would want manifest through him. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about praying in Jesus' name when we're connected, obviously, with God. When you're connected with God and you're remaining in him and you're close to him, you're not going to pray for things that glorify self. Because what does that mean? That means I'm not connected with the vine. That means I'm living for me. But when I'm remaining in him, I'm praying for things that glorify the father, which is exactly what the verse says. This is to my father's glory, not this is to your glory, not this is to my glory. Let me pray. And this is all to my glory, father. No, to the father's glory. Now, am I saying that you cannot pray for a new refrigerator if your refrigerator breaks down? I'm not saying that. Are you saying that, I, I, you know, I, Tony, that I can't pray for a new job? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that our prayers should be father-glorifying prayers. It's totally possible to get a new job and that job be one that glorifies the father or you're praying for it so that you can glorify the father through your job. Help me to get this new job so I can reach out to all these different people on my job and glorify you, Father. Versus, let me get this job so I can really feel good about myself and I can go over to my neighbor and I can tell him all about the promotion I just got. That's different. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. God desires to be glorified through the answering of our prayers. So this means that we are praying in Jesus' name. We're praying for Christ-likeness. In us and in others. We're praying for characters of humility, of love. We are praying for the salvation of souls. All these things glorify the Father. And Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Like we're Jesus' disciples. We're not our own disciples, are we? No, we're Jesus' disciples, so we want to look like him. God wants us to bear fruit. He wants to grant our faithful requests that glorify him. And so let's bear fruit for him. Amen? Last point, and I'm done. Simple point. Love one another. Jesus does begin to get more specific about what he means when he says, remain in me. In verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Remaining in me, remaining in my love. He's using those kind of interchangeably. But remaining in Jesus means to keep his commands. It means to be obedient. Remember the puppy dog, right? 
sit, stay, right? And if the puppy dog stays, what do we say? Good dog, because the dog has been obedient, right? Obedience is something of joy. It says that in verse 11, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What did he just tell them? To remain in his love by keeping his commands. That produces joy. Sometimes obedience can be seen as something that's bad, negative. Oh, God, you're, you're, you're forcing me to do this. Why do I have to obey you? When obedience is a joyful thing, it produces security. Obedience is the result of love from whomever it is that we're obeying. It keeps our consciences clear and it keeps us out of harm. In verse 12, he says, my command is this. If you're wondering what the command is that he wants us to obey, it's love each other as I have loved you. And it's a love that is not just a cordial, um, oh, how you doing? So nice to see you kind of a love. He says, greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Like that is like an intensely deep love. And he's saying that that's the kind of love that the 11 should have for each other as he's about to leave. Guys, you need to love each other this way. He's saying that's the love that we have to have for one another. Whether you know each other across the dance floor or not, whether you're in the same ministry or not, the same age, social status, color, height, weight, whatever it is, or not, that's the way that we're supposed to love each other. An intensely deep love to where we're willing to lay down our lives for each other. Let's help one another. Let's be able to bring up issues and talk about issues with each other without getting upset and all ruffled under the collar. Let's be able to forgive one another from the hurts that have happened and will continue to happen. It's not going to stop, guys. We're going to keep hurting each other. Let's sacrifice for one another. Let's look out for one another. This is how Jesus wants us to love because this is the way that he has loved. He's gone to the cross and he's died for all of us long before we were ever even thoughts of being thoughts. And there were many times for most of us in our lives that we live lives completely against Jesus. We rebelled against him. We cursed his name. We ran from him. We did not want to get reconciled with him, but he still died for us anyway. He's still willing to love us. That's the kind of love that he wants us to have for each other. That's the kind of love that I believe that we can have for each other. Amen? Amen. And so in a nutshell, basically Jesus is saying that he's leaving. He's going to send the spirit, but the 11 are going to need to stay close to him and they're going to need to love one another. That's basically what he's saying. That's the greatest command, by the way, and it still applies today. Jesus has left. He left about 2,000 years ago. He sent his spirit, and we've received his spirit. We're clean as a result. Let's remain in him. Let's love one another, 
and we're going to bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and pray for our communion at this time. If you've got the little um, cup thingies, you're going to remove the top film there, and there's a, you know, the wafer, and then you keep removing all the foil, and then you've got the juice underneath. Let's pray. And Father, as we take this bread that represents your body that was broken for us, and this juice that represents your blood that was shed, help us to remember Jesus. Help us to know that he has love for us. Help us to appreciate his dying for us. And in the same way that Jesus has remained in your love and loved us, may we remain in his love. And Father, please help us to love one another all to your glory. And Father, we do pray that amazing fruit is born from that. We love you, Father. Amen. Amen.